Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Do you know how birds navigate? I mean, isn't it interesting that birds can fly to the same spot thousands of miles away every year during their annual migration flights? The homing pigeon is sometimes referring to the kind of thing that we're talking about here. Lose a pigeon hundreds of miles away in an unfamiliar town, the bird is in its roost even before you can get back home. They were used in ancient times during wars to send secret messages to spies, knowing that the spy could send a return note with that same pigeon because it was going to return to the place from whence it had come, for sure. Scientists have been able to determine that this homing ability of birds is because they can find and follow the Earth's magnetic field. Actually, they navigate better than ancient mariners did of old using their newly discovered compasses. The next question to ask, of course, is how do they do this? How do they know how to navigate? The answer, unsurprisingly, is scientists just don't know. They have to admit that is how birds navigate using the Earth's magnetic field, but it's still a mystery. A lot of research has been done and is still being done, and they're suggesting that either the bird's beaks or the hair in its ears contain some ingredient that might respond to the Earth's magnetism. But even if this turns out to be correct, they don't know how the information is being interpreted by the bird. According to The Economist newspaper, this is still a mystery. We can put men on the moon, we can annihilate whole cities with a single bomb, but we don't know how the humble bird navigates from one place to another. People who are interested in such things are spending a lot of money doing research and analyzing their experiments, trying to find answers to these questions, questions that remain a mystery at this particular moment in time. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not quibbling about the time and money being expended on this research, as odd as it may seem to you. So many wonderful discoveries have been made by scientists exploring such questions in other areas of life. For example, many of the great discoveries of recent times that have been converted to daily use have been made by scientists researching and pondering things like how do birds use the Earth's magnetic field to navigate. Especially in the American moon mission, it seems many good things evolved out of finding a way to put a man on the moon things we now take for granted in our daily lives. All this is good and exciting, but it does give us pause to consider how great is our God and how insignificant is man. We try desperately to understand the simple things that God has ordained since he created the world and everything in it. He spoke and the worlds appeared and the birds found that magnetic field and navigated their flight perfectly through the air without the help of mankind.
And now, with his message for today, here's our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, I want to share with you one of the most amazing events recorded in the Word of God. It sets the stage for the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is an event that has a great lesson for us by way of our insight and response to the Savior in our worship. I am referring to the anointing of Jesus by Mary in the house of Simon the leper. This amazing act is recorded in Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, and John chapter 12. Listen, please, as I read from Matthew's account. Chapter 26, beginning at verse 6. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it upon his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother this woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For the poor you have with you always, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume upon my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done shall also be spoken of her in memory of her. End of quote. Now, of course, the unnamed woman is identified for us in John chapter 12 as Mary. She was the sister of Martha and the woman who sat at his feet to hear his word in Luke chapter 10. The anointing of the Lord Jesus brings out an important contrast, a contrast of the insight and devotion of Mary and the indifference and disappointing response of the disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, the alabaster vial refers to in the passage is a cruise or flask made of white, semi-transparent stone, which was used as a container for precious perfumes and anointments in that day. It was full of very costly perfume of pure nard. This was a highly perfumed ointment used for different things. First of all, it was a cosmetic use for hot climates. Secondly, it was for the anointing of the dead for burial. And thirdly, it was for the ritual use of anointing priests and kings. And also, it was considered a wonderful gift for a king because of its value. Now, nard was from a plant found in the Himalayan mountains. It was hard to get and very expensive because of its rarity. According to verse 5, it was worth 300 denarii, and as the daily wage of the average working man was only one denarius at that time, what Mary poured on the Lord Jesus was worth an entire year's wage. This tells us that Mary's worship caused us something of great worth, and that is in keeping with the biblical concept of what worship truly is. There is a hermeneutical principle principle for studying the Word of God. This is the principle of biblical interpretation, called the principle of first mention. This principle states that the first mention of anything in the Bible, in its context, usually retains 
or contains the meaning or significance throughout Scripture. Now, interestingly, the first mention of worship in the Bible occurs at Genesis chapter 2, verse 5, where Abraham states that he and his son Isaac will go on to the mountain to worship. Note carefully the context. Abram is going to offer a sacrifice, and so worship is the offering of a sacrifice to God. Second, Abraham is going to offer his only son, the symbol of his future. If he lost him, he would lose everything. In other words, Isaac was the most valuable thing possessed by Abraham. He was willing to offer his only son as a sacrifice to God as an act of worship. Notice also that worship in this passage focuses on pleasing God, not self. Sacrificing his son was the last thing Abraham wanted to do, but he was doing it nonetheless as an act of worship to please and honor his God. The same principle is seen in David's response to those who offered to give the land on which to build the temple free of charge. But David's response was, No way, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Yet isn't it amazing how nonchalant and casual we are today when we come to worship together? There's no reflection. There's no time for preparation. We just come and we come to spectate. So Mary is demonstrating, though, to us the true meaning and essence of worship. It cost her a year's wage. At the least, true worship then costs us our pride, because true worship always begins with an acknowledgement and confession that we have sinned against God and fallen far short of his will for our lives. It costs our pride in that true worship causes us to abandon formalities, traditions, and false dignity, and fall to our knees in confession or raise our hands in praise and adoration. Mary teaches us that true worship always costs us something we hold on to daily. But she teaches us something else about worship as well. The scripture says she broke the vial. This refers to the small neck of the vial that she broke that the nod, the perfume, might pour out freely. One Bible commentator says, the breaking of the flask was perhaps an expression of the wholeheartedness of a devotion. Having served its purpose, it would never be used again. And notice, she poured it over his head. John chapter 12 adds that she anointed his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, figuratively, this could refer to the need of brokenness on our part if we are to worship in spirit and truth. As David says, God listens to those of a broken and contrite spirit. All pride, self-interest, and hypocrisy must be acknowledged as we come before holy God in contriteness, recognizing his holiness, his majesty, and justice, and throwing ourselves upon his grace and mercy. There is no true worship without this kind of attitude, and confession, my friends, must be a part of our worship. Mary's actions demonstrated her deep love for her Savior, but it also demonstrated her keen insight into his true identity and purpose. 
This is made clear by Jesus' own interpretation of her actions. She understood what all the other disciples seemed to have missed. Notice, this act revealed that she knew Christ as king, because such an extravagant gift was only lavished on a king. This was very appropriate in view of the fact that on the next day, he would proclaim himself the king of Israel through his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But Mary also recognized Jesus as priest. John chapter 12 and Mark chapter 14 defines this as an anointing of Jesus. Priests were anointed. This is in keeping with the fact that Christ was a royal priest and was about to make atonement for his people. But Mary also recognized Jesus as Savior, a Savior who must die. As he had told the disciples that he must die, so he must also have told Mary. While they were unable to grasp what Jesus said, Mary did. She undoubtedly recognized her sin and need of a suffering Savior and did this as an act of faith and devotion. She understood the reason for his death, that was her sin, and the significance of his death, the securing of her salvation. John chapter 12 tells us the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. As a result of our insight and actions, the fragrance of Christ's person filled the entire house. It did not call attention to Mary, but to the Savior as the king priest who must die for the sin of the world as the Savior of all mankind. All three of the gospel accounts begin the next section with the word, but. This is a sharp contrast, because what follows stands in sharp contrast to Mary's action and demonstrates the typical attitude of the Mary religious or those who lack Mary's insight into the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ or who have failed to truly listen to the Savior's word. Now, when we study all three of these accounts, we find that all the disciples were angry over this act of Mary and saw it as being wasteful. But Judas, the betrayer, a treasure for the group and a thief, was their spokesman. Notice the contrast between them and Mary. First, Mary turned all attention upon the Lord and his person. She gave witness to truth about the person and work of Jesus Christ. On the other hand, Judas and the disciples turned the issue away from Christ and on to the poor. Although important, this was not the primary issue or responsibility. But another contrast, Mary was motivated by devotion and sacrifice for the Savior. This was produced by spiritual insight because she had ears to hear the voice of a Savior. Judas and the disciples were motivated by greed and jealousy caused by the callousness toward the Word of God and the failure to listen to the teachings of their Master. But another contrast, Mary was quietly pointing people to the Savior. She was occupied with Him. Though the text does not say so, we can be sure she was not filled with evil thoughts of jealousy, resentment, or bitterness. There was surely sadness, but also spiritual joy. The disciples, on the other hand, had their eyes on others and themselves, and were all filled with resentment, which erupted in anger toward Mary, who was worshipping Jesus Christ. The result was they scolded her, according to verse 5. Mary's understanding of Christ's person and work, along with her trust in Christ, 
became the force behind her act of worship and devotion to the Lord Jesus. She was trusting Christ for her life, for her significance, and for her security. On the other hand, in the lives of the disciples, dependent on the world and its riches, an occupation with the temporal and the transient. Christ rebuked the disciples forcefully. He says, let her alone. This was a sharp, authoritative rebuke and gives a note of urgency. Why do you border her? Jesus says. This phrase challenged their motives. The Savior quickly saw below the surface of their actions. It was not really a concern for the poor. It was their own jealousy and greed. Their overt actions manifested their hidden agendas. Jesus then declared the nature of Mary's actions. This is what he says. She has done a good deed to me. And then he goes on to explain why her actions were good. But me you do not always have, he says. This strongly attests to the uniqueness of his person and what was about to happen. He was the unique son of God who was about to die for our sin, and he would be raised and ascended into heaven, leaving his disciples to proclaim the gospel message. He was anticipating his resurrection and victory from the grave. This also shows the spiritual always takes precedence over the social. Social work and reform may alleviate certain forms of suffering and injustice, to be sure, but they are only temporary and can never cure the torment of men's souls nor bring them into eternal relationship with the living God. Yes, we need to reach out to the needs of people, but ultimately, if we do not lead them to Christ as the one who died for their sin, we have not ministered to their greatest need. And so Jesus says in Mark 14, verse 8, Mary has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Literally, the text says she did what she had to do. Mary took advantage of the opportunity to serve the Savior. She did all she could do with what she had. She did according to her capacity and ability. She did what she did out of spiritual insight and devotion. Friends, God never holds us responsible for what we do not have. The issue and the need is, first, to spend time getting to know the Savior so our hearts can be filled with Him and His love. And then secondly, out of our fellowship with Him, to take what we have and make it available to manifest the sweet aroma of Christ through our worship. Christ then explained, she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Mary had evidently grasped what the others had not. She was preparing both Jesus, herself, and the disciples for his death. She did it by worshiping him and filling the plates with a holy fragrance. Jesus rewards Mary for this sacrifice and says, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall be spoken of in memory of her. My friends, that is why you are hearing about her act and worship today, because this is Jesus' reward for her worshiping him at that time. So in closing, let me ask you, do you realize the significance of who Jesus is and what he did for you? If you do, then I trust that your response will be like that of Mary, 
one of worship, devotion, and adoration based on sacrifice, based on a deep love for the Savior who died and rose again for you. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Therefore evermore to stay. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. in a moment Jesus Christ could come again